You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy. All the way near the back, 2 Timothy chapter 3 is our text this morning. We're continuing our series of messages called Blueprints of a Biblical Church. Southern Baptists have long been known as people of the book, uh, and the book meaning the Bible, people of God's Word. And to be a people of the book means that we submit ourselves under the authority of God's Word for our lives and for our church. And I think the best text to explain uh, this one is, uh, is actually a familiar text. We have looked at this before. In fact, if you've taken uh, really good notes uh, you'll recall that we covered much of this a couple of years ago, and, uh, but it's so important and it's uh, foundational uh, that we come back to it again. It's worth looking at again. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to begin reading in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Let's pray again. Father, we ask now that You would please uh, speak to us as we have uh, Bibles in our laps, Your Word, we're humbling ourselves before you and inviting you to speak into our lives uh, the words of life that we so desperately need to hear. And I pray that you would use me as your servant today. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the first characteristics or the first characteristic of the church in the New Testament, the church in its infancy and uh, a purity. In Acts 2.42, it says that they devoted themselves continually to the apostles' teaching. That is, that the most foundational trait for uh, any God-honoring church is a continual devotion to the Word of God. This should not be surprising to us because if you take a step back and think about the totality of Scripture from cover to cover, it is always the Word of God that forms and shapes and enlivens uh, God's people. From Genesis 1 where God speaks the universe into existence and literally by His Word gives life to all things, to, to God giving the law to His people. In, in Exodus, where he tells them to write it on the doorpost of, of their homes and to, to bind them on their hands. 
uh, to the exhortation that uh, he, God gives to Joshua and the people of Israel as they're crossing over into the promised land, that this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. To the Psalms that call, call us to delight ourselves in the Word of God, to meditate upon it, to hold it in and hide it in our hearts that we might not sin against Him. To the prophets who call us back to God's Word over and over again because it's only through the Word of God that dry bones live. To the New Testament when we read in John 1 about the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us in Jesus Christ. And that salvation comes by hearing the Word and believing that Word. And then we're to build on the solid foundation of Christ and His Word rather than the shifting sands of culture. We could go on and on, but from the very beginning and throughout the Bible, we see that God's people have always been marked by a faithful response to His Word. And so we would also expect in this that one of the greatest temptations that, that Christians and, and that the church would face is to veer from that word. And in fact, we also see that from the very beginning too, don't we? Genesis chapter 3. Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say it? Do, do we really have to? Is God's word authoritative? in our lives, and, and much of the Scripture, the testimony of Scripture, chronicles a, a people who resist God's Word over and over again and the tragic consequences that follow. One of the things that concerns me today are the many pastors and church leaders who seem to be more fearful of being out of step with the culture than they are out of step with the Word of God. That ought to be a great concern to us. Biblical Christianity re requires a denial of the world and its values and behaviors and a commitment to the unchanging truth of God's Word. In chapter 3 here of Timothy, verses 1 through 13, Paul describes the, the pattern of decline that will plague many churches in the last days. And then he provides the answer to such a decline, beginning in our text in verse 14. It's a very simple charge, but here's what he says. But as for you, he's speaking to Timothy, Paul to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. And, and Paul identifies what he means there to continue in, verse 15, as the sacred writings. Continue in those, he says, or, or he repeats it, verse 16, the Scriptures. Continue in the sacred writings. Continue in the, the Scriptures. Timothy, continue in the Word. It is a charge not just for Timothy in that particular time period. It is a charge for all Christians and all churches across the span of time. Continue in the Word. I want us to think about that command this morning and what it means again for us to be the people of God and to think about the reasons that he gives here in the text for why we should continue in the Word and then some things he says about how 
were to continue as a word. First, let's look at the reasons we should, uh, we should continue in, in the word. And Paul gives several of them. At the top of the list, we, when we should begin here, is the fact that the Scriptures are given by God to us. Now, the reason Paul wants Timothy and the church to continue in the Word is because this is not an ordinary word. This is not a, uh, an ordinary piece of, of literature. This is not a, an optional book on your, uh, or, or one of many books on the shelf of your home or on the table, your coffee table or your nightstand. These, he says in verse 15, are the Holy Scriptures. That phrase is used here because that's what Timothy would have learned from his grandmother Eunice and his mother Lois, referring to the Old Testament at this time. But from them, he had learned the, the great events, the great passages, the great promises, the great truths about God. And his people. Down in verse 16, Paul expands it a bit, his definition. He says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. What an incredible declaration. Paul creates a brand new word in the text by putting two words together. Uh, theos, God, and neustos, breathe. God breathed. Paul realized that God was using the apostles and prophets in his time to breathe out his word. All Scripture, the Old Testament, the New Testament, are God-breathed, inspired by God himself. Notice all parts of it are inspired, God-breathed by God. We don't get to choose the parts of the Bible that we like and the commands that we like and we disregard the ones that we don't like or which doctrines that we believe, all of it is from the Spirit of God. All of it is binding in our lives. In fact, because the Bible is inspired by God, we can trust that it is inerrant because our God, there's no errors in our God. He's truth. The Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect. Psalm 19 uh, Psalm 119, your word is pure. Your word is truth. All your commandments are truth. We, we see it over and over again. Every word in the Bible is truth because God breathed that word. It is 100% true. When, when Scripture says, God says. And when God says, the Scripture says. They are one and the same. And you can trust that, church. Because the Bible is inspired by God and therefore without error, it has authority over our lives. And this is when it gets a little comfortable, uncomfortable for us. Because this means that the Bible is the, the truth with a capital T. Not one of many truths. Not one of several truths. The truth. The ultimate source of truth. It trumps all other sources of truth. There's no higher source of truth than the Bible. That's not very popular today. It's not very popular to hold to such a high view of Scripture like this because our culture, by and large, believes that truth is relative. It's relative to each person. You have your truth. I've got my truth. Somebody else has got their truth. And we're all just trying to, to live together. The truth is whatever you want it to be, whatever you think it is, however you feel about it. The Bible's not enough. We need to look to other sources to give us the truth. Those are all common beliefs today. 
But isn't it interesting, in his dying days, this is probably the last letter Paul wrote, he did not tell young Timothy here that you really need to be trendy. Timothy, you really really need to focus on that. You really need to be relevant and creative. I mean, that's going to be the key to the church going forward. You, you coming up with brand new ideas and being creative. He didn't tell him you need to look to other places for the truth. Don't just take my words for it. He said, go, go find. He didn't say any of those things because Paul knew that God had given us something timeless. The sacred scriptures. The word of God. And Timothy, here's what's most important. Continue in that word. Another reason we should continue is because the Scriptures make us wise for salvation. This is what he tells him. But as for you, verse 14, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been made acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. There's only one book that can make you wise for salvation, and it is the Bible. There's no other book that can offer you this. There's no other truth that would come anywhere close. And the reason is, is because this book is about Jesus Christ. It's about Him. The sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation, he says, through faith in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. A person cannot be saved apart from knowing the person of truth who is Jesus Christ. And the way that you know the person of truth is not some mystical kind of thing where you've discovered it on. It, it is from the Word of God that we learn about Jesus. These are Christ-centered words. The Bible is a book that leads us to salvation because it leads us to Christ. Over and over again, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is the unfolding plan of His redemption through Jesus Christ. And the climax, you cannot miss it if you look at the Bible, is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Old Testament anticipates His coming. The New Testament explains Jesus to us. He is promised in the beginning. He is there in the middle. He is exalted as at the end. He is the object of our worship for all eternity. It has been said this is a hymn book because it is all about him, church. And that makes us one, this book makes one wise for salvation. Uh, third, the scriptures are profitable, we are told, because uh, for our sanctification as well. Our sanctification. Verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. There's a list there. Notice how he describes it. First, it's profitable. The Word of God is profitable for teaching and reproof. These are, are words generally that would refer to our doctrine or to our beliefs. All Scripture is useful for teaching, for forming our beliefs, our convictions, 
all, not just the book of Romans that we've been studying and one day we'll return to, hopefully, um, but the narratives of the Old Testament, the, 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 the Gospels in the New Testament, the Psalms, all of it, all of it is useful for teaching. Uh, notice uh, when the whole counsel of God is taught that there will also be reproof or rebuking. This means that it shows us where we've gone off the path. The Word of God is like that, that mirror we stand before, except it reveals to us where we have varied from God, where we have went astray, that it, where we have sinned. We as sinners, we can't change that. We can't, we can't understand that until we've been made aware that we have sinned against God. Then notice there's correction, he says, and training for righteousness. This has to do with our conduct. The word correcting means to straighten out. How many of us need straightening out? That, that was four or five. I think it's probably more. Bob's pointing to his wife down here. That's a terrible thing to do, Bob. Um, those who accept the, the correction of God's Word will begin to find their lives straightening out. Straightening out. They'll be ready for the Word's positive effect, then training in righteousness. That is, we begin to live out the truth of God's Word. You see the, even the metamorphosis, the transformation that is in these descriptors of, of how the Word of God works in our lives. It has divine power to change us. Here's where you are wrong. Here's the truth of where you are right. You need to correct your direction and your life to the Word of God. And through the power of the Spirit, you, we are changed. We're transformed. The Word is the means by which we are sanctified, made holy to be like, like Christ. Fourth, the Scriptures equip for service. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. So that is when the ministry of the Word is having its effect in our lives, the church will be equipped to do good, good deeds, good service. This is echoing uh, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, notice all of them, ministers of the Word, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. This is a great reminder today of why we do gather for worship, uh, corporate worship, while we always want to be sensitive that there are unbelievers here this morning, and we love you, and we're thankful that you are here. But our gatherings are geared not toward unbelievers, but for believers. To, for their sanctification, for their training in, in righteousness. There's an old saying that used to be said often in the church that, that we gather to worship and we scatter to evangelize. We scatter to evangelize, but we gather to worship. We want our, our services to be focused on encouraging and strengthening and training Christians so that they can hear the gospel and then take the gospel to those who need to hear it. And the Scriptures are the basis of that equipping. How are we equip equipped? Through the Word of God. Notice, finally, there, the Scriptures are totally sufficient for all of these things. 
We see that in verse 17 again. That the man of God may be complete, it says. Competent. Perfect. Perfect. Calvin comments on these verses here. Perfect means here a blameless person, one in whom there's nothing defective, for he asserts absolutely that the Scripture is sufficient for perfection. Accordingly, he who is not satisfied with Scripture desires to be wiser than is either proper or desirable. What he's saying there, in other words, the Scriptures are totally sufficient for these things. Totally sufficient. In salvation, they're totally sufficient, right? In sanctification, you and I growing in our Christ-likeness and holiness, the Scriptures are totally sufficient. There's enough. Uh, in, in training and equipping for righteousness, the Word of God is sufficient. That The Word of God is even sufficient in how to operate this church. How do we function as a church? What are the things that we're focused on and how do we go about doing? There are those who think maybe we need to move beyond the Bible uh, to other methods and other sources for guidance and for growth. And yet Paul tells Timothy here, the Scriptures are sufficient for you, Timothy. They're enough. Just look there. The Bible contains everything that we need for life and godliness and everything we need to be the people of God. So the Word comes from God. It's inspired. It's inerrant. It's authoritative for our lives. It leads to salvation. It empowers sanctification. It equips us for service. It's completely sufficient. It's no wonder Paul tells Timothy, you need to continue in the Word, Timothy. But how do we do that? What things did he mean by continuing in the Word. Well, there's, there's at least four things I think that Paul mentions uh, uh, here or it infers uh, as well, ranging uh, from application from the whole church all the way down to the individual Christian. Uh, the most obvious one is that Paul wanted Timothy to, to continue in is, is the ministry of preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching, because that's, that's immediately following all of this in chapter 4, verse 1. We read those words. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. How is Timothy, first of all, to continue in the Word? He is to continue in it first by preaching and teaching that Word. It's clear throughout both of Paul's letters to Timothy that the, the ministry of the Word was central in the life of the church. Central to what it means to be a shepherd, to be a pastor. To, to the ministry of the Word, preaching and teaching, was fundamental in the life of the church. Now, that includes the preaching of the Word as the centerpiece of corporate worship on Sunday mornings. But it also includes the teaching ministry of the Word. Uh, which is why we have uh, Sunday school classes for, for groups... Uh, why there are opportunities for 
uh, fellowship and prayer and meeting new people and all those things and, and getting involved in the church, the, the most central reason that we gather is for the Word of God. The Word of God. It's what grounds our children's ministries. It's what, it's what grounds our student ministries. It's what our young adult ministry, college ministry about. It's what, it's what all the way through our senior adult ministry, it is, it is grounded in the, the Word of God. The central focus of the church is the ministry of the Word of God through preaching and teaching. Paul told Timothy uh, over in chapter 2, verse 2, he says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This entrusting of the word to faithful men who will teach others, this was a staple in the life of the early church. Over and over again we see this. It was the reason for their fruitfulness and it remains the calling of the church today. We, we might as well not exist if we are not doing this church. Preaching and teaching the Word of God, which leads us to another way that we continue in the Word, uh, through one-to-one -one encouragement in the church. Uh, Entrust to faithful men, he wrote, chapter 2, verse, uh, verse 2. But he also explains it a little differently in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. He says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Notice that teaching and admonishing one another. I think a great definition I heard, I don't remember where I heard it from, for fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is the word shared with one another. That's a great definition. Our, our fellowship finds its foundation in the word of God that we believe and share together. And it's because that word is so central to our salvation and to our sanctification, uh, to, to, to spiritual life. Naturally, we would want to speak this word to one another. It would be one of the reasons that we, another reason that we come together to hear the word preached and, and taught, but then to speak this word to, to one another, to remind each other of, of, of this. To, to admonish means to, to, to warn from straying from God's truth. We do this in all sorts of ways. We should be, uh, whether it's, it's just encouraging, uh, sharing a Bible verse, sharing what, what, how, what you've been reading throughout the week, what you're memorizing, how God is speaking to your heart through that word, looking for one another, uh, paying attention to, to things that we're, each of us are going through in life and thinking about how, what word of God can I share to encourage my brother or sister in Christ. I think about all the times that I've been encouraged by a text message or a phone call or an email by someone who has sent a word of God, shared a verse of Scripture that they've been praying for me and how many times I've been kept from sin because of such. And so I, I want to challenge you as, as a church, if, if uh, we're to be a people that's submitting ourselves to the word, let, let's make this and strive to make this a normal part of our fellowship. That when we come together, we're, we're thinking about the Word and, and how we might share it, teaching and admonishing uh, one another, encouraging one another with it. Third, we should continue in the Word through discipleship in the home. 
or in the family. And, and, and there's a beautiful reminder of this we see in 2 Timothy here, chapter 3. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. We know that uh, Timothy was indebted to at least three people in his life for the, his walk with the Lord. People who have poured into him. His mother Lois, his uh, grandmother uh, Eunice, and the Apostle Paul who was like a spiritual father uh, to Timothy. And so Timothy's father was a Gentile, and he was either an unbeliever uh, or perhaps he had passed away at some point. We're not sure. But it was apparently his mother and grandmother that had poured the Scriptures into Timothy's life, modeled uh, before him, and also his spiritual father Paul had done this as well. From his childhood, from his childhood, he learned these things. In his home, he learned these things. And dads, I just take a moment to exhort you that this is your first and foremost responsibility in your family. It's you. The Scripture lays that on you, not me. Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word instruction is the same word that Paul uses here in 2 Timothy 3.16 for training in righteousness. Training, instructing your children in the Word of God. Dad, it is your job to teach them and to be a spiritual example for your children. It should not be left to the mom alone to do that. She should not be initiating all of the contact and conversation about the Word in your home. You need to be initiating that. Your children need to hear it from you. It's your responsibility to bring them up in the Word. And I, I would just ask you, how much of emphasis does the Scripture have in your home? This shouldn't be the only day of the week they hear the Bible. Amen? They should be hearing it more. And from you. If the scriptures are, are, the, are the, the, the scriptures make one wise for salvation, and you love your kids and want them to know Christ, you need to be sharing the scriptures with them. Are you filling their minds and hearts with God's word? Thank God for godly grandmothers and mothers. But what we need more of are godly fathers. There's one more way I think we must continue in the Word, and, and uh, it's not the listed here, but I, I would suggest to you, make an argument to you, that it is why um, conversations at church are so anemic when it comes to the Word, and it is also why the Word is so often ha absent in the home and in our conversations at home, and it is because we are not continuing in the Word through personal Bible study in our own lives. Uh, the reason why we're not teaching and admonishing one another is because we're not letting, as Paul said in Colossians 3.16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Uh, the reason why the Word doesn't have a central place in our homes, in short, is because it doesn't have a central place in our lives. 
Study after study um, reveals that American Christians increasingly don't read their Bibles on a regular basis. It's it's quite stunning, really, because we are the most Bible-rich people in the whole world. I mean, we got Bibles everywhere. And yet, many Christians don't have a regular daily habit of being in God's Word. The fact that we are too busy for such, or that the Bible is too boring, or that it's too hard, that we just struggle to understand it or all those things are, are really lame excuses that are having devastating consequences to the faith. It, to the spread of the gospel, because we're not sure we'll say it right and so we don't say anything at all because we've not been in the Word. To the fellowship in our churches, to the foundation and growth of our families. You simply cannot read the Bible without coming to the conclusion that the people of of God are a people of His Word. Always have been. And need to be more and more and more today. People who delight themselves in the Word of God because of their love for God. How can we believe the Bible is the Word of God, divinely inspired, inerrant, uh, and, and not devote time to meditate on it, to study it, to treasure it, to memorize it, to share it. And so I ask you this morning, are you continuing in the Word? Are you hearing this exhortation? Are you continuing in the Word Dads, are you leading your family to prioritize the Word? Church members, are you striving to teach and admonish one another uh, with the Word? Are you submitting yourself to the teaching and preaching ministry of the Word in, in the church? If someone uh, were close to you and they were thinking about how they might describe your life, would they describe you as a man or a woman of the Word of God? If someone in this community were talking about our church, would they look at us? Would they think about us? Those are a people down there, a people of the book. That should be our goal. Because that is who we are in Christ as the church, a people submitting to the absolute authority of the Word of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and your word is what has revealed to us the mysteries of Christ, this one who's promised, this one who has now come, this one who lived a perfect, sinless life for us, this one who died in our place on the cross to pay for our sins, this one who rose again on the third day and who is coming again to take us to be with him. Lord Jesus, thank you for all these glorious truths found in your word. May today, as we've heard this word, to continue this challenge, to continue in it, that we would devote ourselves to it, just as your followers have all across the centuries. Lord, do that work in our hearts and lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.